Hi, this is Roland Lazenby, and you're listening to the On the Board Sports Podcast. You can! it on the board! Yes! And welcome back to another edition of the On the Board Sports Podcast. I'm your host, Sean Thomas, a.k.a. Tony on the mic. Happy Wednesday to everybody out there. Sun is shining. I'm quarantined here in Queens, New York. Joined by my main man, the best co-host in the business, William Cherucci, a.k.a. Will C. Will, how you doing, man? Hanging in. We got the Jordan stuff in the background. Obviously, you see the gym stuff. And it's episode 201 of the On the Board Sports podcast. So, yes, it's truly awesome with the capital A. And we're loving it right now. But, Sean. Yes, sir. We have a very special guest with us. Joining okay. us, go ahead, Sean. I'll, I'll let you introduce. Very, very special guest, friend of the show, veteran of the show, a great friend of me and Will. And me and Will, we respect this guy so much. The one and only Brandon Robinson, a.k.a. Scoop B. Scoop, welcome back, man. How are you doing, man? Gentlemen, what's going on? I'm, man, I'm good. Thanks. I, I feel like I am a guest in residence uh, at your, on your show. <laughs> The first time we've done video, which is pretty cool. Um, yep. I mean, we do video in the studio, but it's different. You know, we're boarding the house and then the house board. So, you know, it's a good you guys. Thank you for having me. Anytime. Thank you for coming on. And we really appreciate you sacrificing some time. I know you're a busy guy. You're trying to keep up with all the NBA news right now that's going about. But really, what's going on is in the back. And the man, the myth, the legend known as Michael Jordan uh, and the last dance that came out, parts nine and ten came out on Sunday, and it's been absolutely unbelievable to not only re-witness this history again and to refeel it, but to hear it from the mouth of MJ and his teammates and his coaches and such, and even the owner of the Chicago Bulls at that point in time, including his adversaries, Brandon what has been your take on this whole documentary and what overall do you take away from it? It was enjoyable. Um, I think, you know, for five weeks to sit and watch um, something that I lived uh, both as a, as a fan, but also as a member of the media, um, it was pretty cool. Um, and it's interesting because, you know, it, it's a conversation that, you know, current players are having um, legends and more like, there are guys that are in front offices that I've had conversations with just from opposing teams that played against Michael that are just like, man, like it really feels like um, we're reliving the nineties all over again. Um, I just spoke with Kobe White and Ryan Archie Diakono of the Chicago Bulls uh, on this past Sunday uh, during a, a chat, obviously the optical um, glasses, the official response to the Bulls. And, you know, I was telling the guys how I feel like just basketball in this documentary is like soap operas for men. You know, and Kobe White said how like he would really have like a set schedule like on Sunday, how he would like, he would ch make sure he took a shower, make sure he had dinner. And while he was just sitting and enjoying the documentary, it was a, it was a big deal. And what's interesting is, you know, Kobe was born in 2000. So his recollection of Michael was like minimal. I mean, unless he remembers watching Michael in 2001 when he was one years old, as a member of the Washington Wizards, there's no recollection of it. And him coming from the North Carolina Tar Heels and being the first-round pick of the Bulls, the first first-round pick by the Bulls since Michael Jordan from North Carolina, you know, he said he's learned a lot. And um, 
for me personally, um, I was around that Bulls team uh, during the 97, 98 season. And, um, you know, it was around Michael, Dennis, and, and Scotty, and, and Phil Jackson, and, you know, other members of that team, Luke, Luke uh, Longley, and Ron Harper, and more so. I have really enjoyed it because it, it took me back to my foundation in journalism, being in an NBA locker room. And uh, it's been enjoyable. I've enjoyed it. And um, I never really stopped working. Uh, Nick Anderson was on the podcast that was dropped this week. Uh, and he relived that whole 45 isn't 23. And we talked about that on the Scoopy Radio podcast. So um, it's just been, it's been enjoyable. It's been a lifestyle. And um, it's not back to work because I never stopped working. But it's pretty cool to, you know, to, to kind of relive this on, on, on documentary. Absolutely. And Scoop, you, you talked about it just now as a kid. You know, you worked, you were part of that net season as well during the 97, 98 season. What was that like for you, you know, just taking away some of this stuff that really went down? Well, I, I can't, I, I vividly remember being in a locker room with the Bulls. Um, I, right. I can tell you that uh, I remember I've shared this story in the numerous uh, press runs that I've done over the last five weeks where I talked about um, Dennis Rodman um, being in the visitor's locker room. If you go to look at the old Meadowland Stadium, um, the visitor's locker room is like, it's a hockey locker room. And you walk in and the, you open the door and the door, it needed WD-40 because it was just so squeaky. And mm-hmm. when I walked into the room, the locker room, you had one room where, you know, it was like an open space. You had the, the, the benches and then you had the hooks on the, on the wall. And then there was another room that was like the, the closed off private room where like you had Michael was in there with Tex Winter, Phil Jackson, Jim, uh, Frank Hamlin, Jim Clemens, the whole Bulls staff. But when you walked in, Dennis was in the room. And you know how, like, when you were in school, you had, like, if it was a – like, if you had recess or you couldn't go outside, they, it, it was rainy, the teacher would wheel in that, t- that TV. <laughs> so, like, Dennis was watching this um, – he was watching footage of – or a game tape of the previous game that Jason Williams, then Annette, was, was uh, you know, was playing. I don't remember who they were playing the night before a couple of days ago, but – he was studying tape. He had headphones on and he had a t-shirt and pajama pants on. And then he had like these ankle socks with like colorful frilly balls on them. And so he was sitting in the folding chair, Indian style. And he was just studying tape. Like that's the one thing that I think as much as people look at this dyed hair um, and, and maybe trips to Vegas and more, the thing about Dennis that stands out to me, you know, incessantly is his level of commitment to, to, to getting better, to staying consistent, and just being that guy. And so when I tapped him on the shoulder, yo, you got a few minutes. Nah, I'm watching tape right now. Get lost, kid. He didn't say get lost, kid, but that basically I'm busy. And I just watched him watching tape in the locker room, and it was pretty cool. So then, you know, throughout the course of that night, like, I remember going into the – because I was a cute kid, I could get away with certain stuff. Like, I, I walked into the – I'm still cute. But um, you you walk into the, you, you you walk into the room, you open the door, and then it's Michael Jordan. Like he he's got he's putting on like his jersey, his shirt, and he looked at me, and I looked at him, and I smiled, and he smiled, and I'm like, oh, like like it was you know Michael was somebody that I grew up you know liking. He's the reason why I, I fell in love with the game of basketball. So like that was there. Then like I remember the game, the actual game. Like the, the, the I remember it was a it's a few times around the Bulls, but the first time I was around, I'm like. I remember there was a noon game, and I actually had to do a live show. Uh, my show was a morning show that came on the radio. And uh, I, that day, because it was a noon game, 
we had to, we did the show from the arena. And I remember that day being significant because the day that I did the show, I was talking about NBA moves that had happened like that day. And like, I remember Theo Ratliff had got traded to either the Pistons or the Sixers. Aaron McKee had gotten traded that week. And then I remember talking about that stuff. And then I remember being on the Nets court playing basketball before the game. Like, I remember that just was a thing. Like, you were cool if you could play basketball on the, on the court, like an NBA court. And then I went to the, to the, I went and changed my clothes, put on a suit. And I just remember, like, Luke Longley giving me his sneakers after the game. I remember after the game, like, there was a line of reporters standing in front of the, the visitor's locker room. And, like, we were, like, slacking off. And I remember Phil, I was right in front. And I remember Phil Jackson came out and he goes, so you guys just going to shut up or are you going to let me talk? And I just, like, I just remember little things like that, like, that now I can kind of put together as an adult, you know. But, yeah, it was a pretty cool experience. I remember interviewing Ron Harper and it being difficult at times to talk to, like, because he he stuttered. So, like, I'm looking at him like, like, I'm trying to, like, my eyes were trying to help him talk and I'm not playing him, but I didn't know Ron Harper stuttered until <laughs> I interviewed him. So it was just little things like that that, that just stood out to me. Mm. And That's a- also, last thing, I promise I won't ramble anymore. <laughs> oh my God, bro. Go, ahead, go, ahead. go ahead, we don't mind it. When I, I remember, because this was the 97-98 season, of course, I remember Scotty being out, but not knowing why. Scotty didn't make the trip to that, to that, to that. Um, and then, so when I looked at the first couple episodes of The Last Dance, I was like, oh shit, that's why he wasn't there. Because of his, because of his injury, because he wasn't fucking with Jerry Krause like that. <laughs> So it, it all like it, certain things that I knew it now made sense. I, I don't think I've ever been this candid about it, but yeah, y'all cool. So nah, man, like <laughs> literally, like I, I learned a lot from like I don't know everything. I don't claim on everything, but that those those little facts I didn't know that I learned. School man, and me and you thought the same thing. As we know, Scotty is one of the greatest players to ever play the game. So I was looking forward to seeing how great he was being number two. But I felt like during the course of the show, we saw mostly the bad things about him from him not to want to come into the game and the contracts on and so forth. So a lot of people are trying to say as great as the piece made Eichel look, it made Scotty look kind of bad. What's your take on how that piece made uh, Scotty look? Yeah, I, I, I've definitely seen over the last couple of days, like I know uh, Horace Grant has gone on um, record talking about how he felt 90% of that um, documentary was fictitious. I've had Scotty, oh, excuse me, I've had uh, Horace Grant on the Scoopy Radio podcast and, you know, him talking about Michael the way he did surprises some people. You know, Horace told me that uh, Michael was the devil, literally called him the devil in practice. Um, he said, well, we, well, we played in practice. You know, we thought we were the New York Knicks or the Detroit Pistons or the Cleveland Cavaliers the way Michael was just how he was on the court and, and, and at practice center. But to, to directly answer your question, um, I don't know. I, I think um, it's easy to have a, a reaction right away, right when it's done. I think I'm still very much digesting it. Um, but I, I think there are some other things that I look at, like, like, I'm curious to know why Carmen Electra was in the documentary, but not Michael's ex-wife or current wife. Why Michael's kids were at the end. Um, 
you know, I'm, I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm curious to know um, little things like, like I'm cool with Jason Caffey, um, who played on the Bulls team. And, you know, throughout the whole, like, five weeks, he and I have been texting back and forth just various things that are going on. You know, he, he told me in a text message, I'll find it, but there's some things that he said to me that, 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 that makes sense. I'm, I'm, as I'm talking to you, I'm scrolling, I'm stalling a little bit. We're on camera, so I... <laughs> okay. But like he, said to me, like, like he said to me a couple of weeks ago, he was like, I really didn't get into this past Sunday. This was on, uh, like, the first... I, he texted me Wednesday, March 6th. So whenever that was, that part, previous Sunday, he goes, I really didn't get into it this past Sunday. I felt like they could have done a better job. The Craig Hodges story or something else controversial. I may watch it again. As of now, I have nothing on it. And so, like, you know, like, throughout the course of just you know, the whole process, we, we've just been comparing notes about different things. He was on that team. Um, I would have liked to have seen um, – uh, I'm glad they show Bill Cartwright um, I, because I think that, you know, when you look back at time, you know, they, tra- they traded Oakley for, for Bill Cartwright, and, and Bill Cartwright was that piece that they needed. Uh, I remember for years, because he went to San Francisco, people were trying to make Bill Cartwright the next Bill Russell. Um, I'm glad that he found his role with that team. Um, I, I agree with Jason Caffey with the whole Craig Hodges thing. They didn't touch on it. So for those who are paying attention that aren't familiar with Craig Hodges, Craig Hodges was Colin Kaepernick before Colin Kaepernick. Um, when the Bulls won their first championship, um, Craig Hodges was on on that team, and you know he the, the the Bulls visited the White House in '91, and Craig Hodges gave a letter to then President George Herbert Walker Bush, mm-hmm. um, you know, letting him know the the mistreatment that African Americans were dealing with in you know the United States at that time, and you know the rule is when you go to the White House, you don't hand off things like that, but you hand it off to their their point person, so. Um, it's believed that President Bush read the letter, and but what ended up happening was shortly thereafter, Hodges was basically blackballed um, for that spectacle. Like he wasn't able to join the team, and you know to this day he's very active in Chicago as, a, as an activist. Um, I, I would have liked to have seen them t- t- delve in more into that. I've had Craig Hodges on the Scoopy Radio podcast, and we talked about um, you know Jordan's relationship with politics and not really getting too controversial. Um, and I think that when you look at the Michael Jordan and LeBron James comparisons that people are always making, I don't think there's a comparison. But the one thing I think that LeBron does have a leg up on, for the exception of his not being as outspoken about Darfur back in the day, uh, I think LeBron has been pretty at, pretty outspoken about a lot of political things in a way that Ali was and many other people were different eras. Um, Michael is, wasn't always so vocal and you know made statements about you know, Republicans wear sneakers too. That would have been the perfect segue to, you know, kind of bring Craig Hodges to the forefront. But I guess because of the relationship he's had with the NBA over the years, it just wasn't feasible. And, you know, I think I answered your question and expanded a little more. Yeah, you did. <laughs> yeah, those are some of the things that I wish I would have seen. Well, absolutely. And, you know, Scoop, you talk about what had happened throughout not only just building a team in general is just absolutely crazy, but to go from, you know, you had a couple of ex-players on your podcast, guys like Nick Anderson, 
going on there and saying 45 isn't 23, everything like that. <laughs> you know, what was it like seeing, you know, that Eastern Conference conference final in 98, going seven games and having to relive that again, having to deal with those Pacers teams? And number two, you know, since you're, we're all from New York, and to hear Jordan say that the Knicks weren't a part of that, you know, that even though he did say it with the 93 team, the 94 team that went out there and, and beat them, you know, what, what, what was your take on that? So, first of all, the 98 um, season, um, the Hornets, um, and seeing B.J. Armstrong go against his former team, I thought was, was another enjoyable um, part. Um, mm-hmm. I, I think mm-hmm. Shane Slug, like, um, when I started Scoopy Radio, it actually was started um, because growing up, you know, I would tell people, yeah, I had a radio show with the Nets, and I did this, that, and the third, da, da, da. How do you find yeah. it? And people are like, how do you find it? And it's like, well, it's not a podcast. So what happened was, this is as York as it, go, as it, as it sounds, um, I had a ton of, uh, like, audio tapes um, in a Timberland box that was just collecting <laughs> dust. <laughs> in my parents' home. And so basically, I digitized those tapes. So, like, I remember being in a locker room, the Hornets locker room as a kid, like, a squeaky door. And it would be like uh, BJ Armstrong was a Hornet at that time. Anthony Mason was on that team, Matt Geiger, Glenn, Glenn uh, Rice. So, like, I had tapes with, um, with interviews with BJ Armstrong, Matt Geiger, um, J.R. Reed, who was on that team as well. And the first episode of Scoopy Radio was actually with J.R. Reed. He ended up, you know, putting in that Geiger um, and, and, and what have you. But, you know, as I'm going back and I'm looking at the last dance and I'm seeing all this, this, this horn stuff, I'm like, whoa. Like, we started Scoopy Radio in 2016 and we were just digitizing old stuff. I even had an interview with a, as a child with Scott Burrell when he became a net. And right. so we're talking mm-hmm. about, like, and we stayed in touch. Like, I, we're talking about, like, you know, what was it like playing for the Bulls? And he spoke reverently about Michael Jordan then. So, you know, like for me, this is nostalgic. And then to sit and watch the, the series against the Pacers. I mean, go back and watching the series against the Nets. Like I, I was around that team at the, during that point. And my stepdad is actually from the west side of Chicago. He grew up down the street from the old Chicago stadium. So like for me, like it, it's a full circle moment then. It's a full circle moment now. And when I watched just the, the way that Reggie and Michael were jawing at each other, to me, I just realized then, the, like I know now, those were two of the best two guards that were in the NBA. And then when you sit and you really look at just the dichotomy of how rich the NBA was at that point, I think we were spoiled with the amount of talent that we saw, so much so that we still have leftovers to, to, to today that we kept in the freezer all this time. And we're now taking a, 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 a didactic look and surveying just how good we had it. I mean, even people clowning Gary Payton about, you know, and, and, and you know, the way he said he was, you know, going at Michael, like, I mean, those are legitimate, legitimate conversations. And it, and it kind of takes me back to, I had Shaq on the Scoopy Radio podcast a couple months ago, and he talked about, I said to him, I said, yo, do you ever feel like Reggie Miller and Hakeem Olajuwon were overlooked? Because Michael was just that damn good. And he said, you've got to think of it like this. He goes, you know, McDonald's is my favorite restaurant. You know, but, you know, the, the, top, the, top, the top sandwich on that menu is the Big Mac. But then you have chicken nuggets. You have the filet of fish. You have the, the, the crispy chicken. You have all these different things. Mm-hmm. Well, if Michael is the Big Mac comparatively, then Reggie might be the filet of fish. And Hakeem might be the, the chicken nuggets. Like, 
Hakeem, I think, doesn't get the type of recognition that I think he deserves because the Rockets won those two championships in between Michael retiring and coming back. But I think they, I think, I think the real ones know Um, Clyde Drexler was good. He just wasn't Michael. Um, And that's not a knock. Uh, I I think in some respects he gets the Isaiah Thomas, like current NBA player Isaiah Thomas treatment. And the fact like he was the top three shooting guard, but wasn't getting paid like one. Michael was. So I, 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 I just think when you look at all these le- these legends, you know, like even the center position, I think we were spoiled with the amount of centers, great centers we had. Yeah, in the nineties, you had David Robinson, you had you had Patrick Ewing, you had Hakeem Olajuwon. I mean, heck, even in a guy that's a name that that has a name that wasn't a star like him. I mean, you could go back and look at like guys like Kevin Duckworth. Uh, you could look at Robert Parrish, who you know won championships with the with the Celtics. Kareem was was playing up until like what in 89 90 like the 90s was was filled with uh, uh, gluts of talent and I think yeah. now people are starting to look at guys who were on their trading card collection like wow like I'm seeing them in action <laughs> yeah hell even two foreign guys like Rick Smith and Arvita Sabonis even though Sabonis came in later in his career Luke Longley too yeah yeah Luke Longley is an Australian legend today yeah. today Right. Yep. Definitely crazy. Scoop, man. So when I look at this whole thing, like the 10 parts, the one thing that I learned about his game was as an assassin as he was, Jordan was a very unselfish guy too. Like he made that pass to Kerr, to Paxson, to other guys. Is there anything about the player that you didn't know going in that you now know now that you've seen it? Maybe not the um, not knowing about the player. I think I was very MJ obsessed as a kid, but I, I do think that um, the dynamic of the transition from um, Collins to uh, head coach um, Doug Collins. I, I'm always careful when I say Collins because sometimes I'll say Phil Collins, and that's Phil in the air, not Doug Collins. So I'm like, wait, wait, which Collins? Doug Collins. So Doug Collins, the transition from Doug Collins to, 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 to Phil Jackson, like, to me, some of that parallel reminds me of LeBron trying to get to the finals um, in, like, and having to get past the Chauncey Billups-led Pistons. The only difference is he didn't get that first ring in Cleveland. He got it in Miami. So mm-hmm. imagine, like, Jordan not getting past the Pistons all those years, and then say hypothetically he joined the Knicks or the Rockets, and then he finally won one. That's the difference between um, that situation. And and so when I look at that, it reminds me of a conversation I had with John Starks a couple years ago, where he was like, my, he told me Michael will never be compared to LeBron because LeBron had to go to other teams to do it. Michael did it with one team, and that that speaks volumes for somebody like Starks, who was a rival of, of Michael, you know, for all those years. So I, I think that the Doug Collins. Said it right, right? Yeah, Doug Collins. <laughs> Jackson transition where Phil was like, you know, you know, like Doug Collins rejected the triangle offense and then, you know, was not listening to Tex Winter. And then, you know, that whole situation with um, Tex Winter, um, you know, basically, you know, taking that triangle offense and implementing it to Phil Jackson is what really made Michael a better player. Constant spacing, constant movement in the shape of a triangle, like, I talked to many players who have played in the triangle offense, and it's not an easy offense to kind of get acclimated to. 
Um, but I, I think that that change of power between Collins and, and Phil Jackson is something that I really marvel at. You know, Brandon, you look at everything that, and you just mentioned it right now. One guy that's really getting a lot of clout through all of this is Paul Pierce after what he came out and said the other day about his top five and how he left LeBron off the top five. And basically he said what you said just now with, you know, with how Starks went out there and said that, you know, MJ went out and he did it all on his own. One team, yeah, he retired twice, but he did it all on his own. And the organizations that LeBron played with, much different than having to switch it up. It's so true. And you're seeing that now. Now, with that said, more players, I feel as if, if they come out and say that, they get ridiculed for saying that, for leaving a guy like LeBron off the top five or whatever. But it's all opinionated. We all have to understand that. Uh, what, what's your take on Paul Pierce's thoughts on, on that? I didn't hear what he said, but I... I, I'll be a shameless uh, admission. I don't really watch the Tony ESPN. Um, okay, it's not personal. I just work a lot. But but what I so I didn't see it. But I can only imagine what Pierce said because I know he and LeBron just well more so Pierce now as a commentator mm-hmm. just has I personally feel maybe some veiled uh, uh, competitive uh, juices that want to allow LeBron to be great. Potentially, uh, right. I, I I can see his point. You, you're a competitor. You're not going to give your, your your competition the credit, and that's fine. Um, we all do it in our own way. I I, I say that to say like, um, Pierce is also a byproduct of being drafted in '97, '98, mm-hmm. and so LeBron came around in 2003, and those guys were heated competitors for years. Um, He's a guy that's from Inglewood, California, so he grew up watching, you know, the, the great Lakers and playing at the great Western Forum. And, um, so uh, I'm sure that there's a maybe there's a third eye or lens he has uh, to speak how he, how he feels. But um, younger people aren't going to say that. Absolutely. And that's so, what it comes down to. Yeah, so I, I think certain, certain younger people, people younger than us, will, will say that that's – um, a farce because I think that um, it's funny just polling different players like past right. and, and present to them when Michael retired um, Michael Kobe was that Michael light and I'm not comparing Michael to Kobe at all but what I'm saying is I didn't realize that until I, after Kobe passed away and I really just sat back and observed like you look at an NBA locker room. I remember in February, I was I was making trips back and forth to, to working uh, Sixers games. I was I was working on a few feature stories and looking at Tobias Harris's uh, locker and just his whole foot locker, like below his his where he sits, is nothing but Kobe sneakers. Um, and it's funny because I know that Michael was so influential. Sometimes players would get fined for wearing his sneakers on the court during games, not by the NBA, Nike. Nike would find players. They just changed the rule like this year. I found this out where if you wear, if you're a Nike guy and you were wearing Jordan sneakers, they find you. They just took that. Yeah, that's crazy, right? <laughs> Nike, right? I yeah. Yeah, I found out that a few months ago. They just removed that fine. Okay, that's, that's <laughs> interesting. I'd never, I never, I always, you know, thought that like, you know, if you wear like a different competitor's shoe, yeah, you get fired for that. But wearing the same brand, yeah. that's crazy. Yeah, I, I just found it out a few months ago. And wow. Just, I was talking to a to a a, 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 
uh, a recently retired player who told me that that if you're a Nike person and you and you wear Jordans, they find you. Wow. Okay. Didn't know that. That's absolutely insane. That is crazy. That's definitely crazy. Scoop. So for all these years, we've known that game as the flu game. Now we watch it and it's the pizza game. What was your take on them saying, nah, it wasn't the flu. It was he ordered pizza at, at like 1030 and he had the chills and all of that stuff. It like when you heard that, what would you take? It did surprise me. I was hearing that in the 90s and 2000s that like, um, like if you notice, like players would always get flu or get sick during the playoffs. And I remember my stepdad used to say, somebody's putting something in somebody's food. So when I heard that <laughs> about Michael, it didn't really surprise me. That's why you send, you should have went a little bit more low key. You should have sent one guy to the store to get it and they bring it back. Not a whole rap entourage of people guarding his food because that's not suspect. Ain't that many black people in Utah as it is. Exactly. <laughs> so, I say that to say, you sending a whole bunch of people to a hotel that it's obvious it's a it's a chance that a Bulls player is staying at, and you bringing in pizza. Come on, B, you, you we better than that. I just I think that it was suspect. I remember just seeing. I, I'm not surprised, um, but there are certain things that are just done for theatrics. Like 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 for example, there are guys that that have played for the Bulls uh, for years, and I just was always fascinated with the dynamics of, of, of Dennis and Michael, like, like how much did they talk or not? And like, they didn't talk. That's what they were telling me. And then you see sequences where they kind of talk. Um, and sometimes it was painted more for theatrics. I think there's certain things that are painted for theatrics for, for, for NBA purposes versus like, like, like that's how it is. So like when they said that the flu game was like, was, was, was kind of, altered with the pizza gate that didn't really surprise me either just because i know how nba stories can get can get you know altered just like with nick anderson when 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 i had him on the scoopy radio podcast available on all streaming platforms by the way um they talked about like nick talked about how that 23 doesn't play like 45 kind of got misconstrued because it was a question he answered it and then he said that we ran with and the funny thing is that nobody talks about is like well, did you guys ever resolve it? And then talking to Nick Anderson, he said to me they did. They actually resolved it at Charles Oakley's house. Wow. Like, if I didn't like Michael, he says, think about this. Um, Jordan, the Jordan 10 sneakers was a sneaker that Jordan wore when he played baseball. And then he wore it in the double nickel game at Madison Square Garden when he came back in World 45, right? Mm -hmm. Okay. If you look at the Jordan 10 sneakers, Jordan hand put, set, selected certain guys to wear his shoes, even in retirement. And Nick Anderson was one of those guys. Kendall Gill, B.J. Armstrong, Harold Miner was wearing Jordan 10s as well. He goes, if I didn't like Michael, why the hell would I wear sneakers? True. This was pre-Jordan brand, like when Derek Jeter and some of those other guys were. They were hand-selected people that wore Air Jordan. Right. Nick Anderson was one of those guys. He was a legend playing at the University of Illinois and more. So, like, I, I say all that to say sometimes stories can kind of just take a, story, a life of their own. And, you know, you, you kind of got to go back and do some research. Gotcha. Yeah, that's definitely true. That's definitely true. Scoop, let me pause on the doc for one um, uh, a second here. 
can you catch everybody up on on what you've been doing? As we know, the Scooby um, Radio is doing well, but I've been seeing you on Instagram live talking to folks, chopping up with folks. Just catch everybody up on what you've been uh, doing. Well, you know, I, I, basketball is definitely um, what I love, but there's more to me than just that. You know, it's funny. Uh, analyst uh, Rashad Phillips tells, calls me the male Oprah. He's like, because you, you interview people and your style is like, that's what he says. Like, he called me one day. He was like, yo, yo Oprah. So, like, sometimes in my tweets under the comments, he'll, he'll comment, like, he'll put Oprah in, in, the, in the comments. So, to answer your question directly, I, I have been doing some Instagram lives. And um, what I've been able to do is, you know, reach out to people that I know. Um, so, Instagram live, and since quarantine, I've had uh, Pastor John Gray. Uh, on who is you know a, a mega pastor um, he was actually my youth pastor when I was in high school and uh, it was over like maybe one million to two million followers on Instagram but he's he's been in the in the game for a long time I mean he's he's been on the TV he's appeared on the TV show sister sister um, he's been um, on, in the in the gospel group Kirk Franklin and the family uh, so I had him on we talked about God we talked about just faith uh, for over an hour um, I've had WD, WWE Hall of Famer Mark Henry on the Instagram live. Mm -hmm. um, I've also had Tahiri Jose from, from Love and Hip Hop, as well as the uh, National Basketball Wives Association President Mia White, who's married to uh, Darrell Wright. Uh, and I also had a, a cooking session uh, with uh, Chef Lamar Moore, uh, who won a, a competition recently. On I saw that one, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, man, I, I just been diversifying and, and, and just – you know, basketball is cool, but we ain't playing right now. But at the same time, I'm still able to go through my phone and, and reach out to who I need to reach out to while also, you know, extending to, to, to other avenues as well. So, you know, it's pretty cool. Brandon, outside of everything that you're doing right now, and I know you mentioned the fact that you're cooking, you're doing all these other interviews, everything like that. What's been your favorite thing that you've been doing during this whole quarantine process? Sleeping. <laughs> I knew that was going to be your answer. Are, aren't we all? <laughs> That's funny. That's great. Sleeping. I mean, I, I'll be honest with you, man. Like, uh, the grind did not stop for me um, as far as, like, right. as far as, like, um, just staying busy. But I think in addition to before Corona uh, hit, I'm doing all the things that I'm doing while also going out the door, catching the Amtrak to Philly to go work, catching up, going, you know, going to JFK LaGuardia or New York Airport to, to catch a flight to this place and that place. Uh, I, I'll just be transparent with you, Will. I know there was a point in the fall, like when I came to your studio and I told you I'm coming here, then I'm coming back home, I'm doing this. Like, yes. Between July of last year to when stuff started, I had been in, in LA about three or four times, Flint, Michigan. Uh, I played a celebrity basketball game in, in Tallahassee, Florida in January. I took a vacation to Mexico. Um, that was the only vacation I took. Everything else was traveling for work, and I'm missing some other destinations and stops. But by the time Corona hit, I had just came back from Chicago during All-Star and was like in the bed for like a week and then started really moving and grooving and making things happen again. The thing that I've enjoyed is really – the not moving around part. I've literally just been like resting, but still getting work done. But I've, I'll be honest with you, like the transition from, you know, being home to, you know, not was, um, so I had written an article. I got a press release from uh, a, 
company that uh, was doing something with Shaq and I, it was about him and his mom. And I took the press release and kind of cut it down and took quotes from conversations I had had with Shaq and, and his mom. I wrote the article and I texted to Shaq and I said, yo, I said, I wrote this. He's like, I appreciate you, homie. And I was like, yo, you free next week to come on the podcast? He was like, yeah, when you want to do it? I was, and so I, 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 that interview with Shaq kind of set the tone. Um, and I just really, in my mind, just had a mindset like, I'm not going to use this as an opportunity to just be lazy and to not do anything and just to be ho-hum. And I, and I really feel like this time um, is what you make of it. And it's it, it creating a, a level playing field for a lot of creators, a lot of freelancers, and a lot of full-time people. Uh, I blurred a line between all of that, but the only thing constant in life is, is change. And also, you're only as good as your last story. And so I, I've really used this time to really regroup and, 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 and be productive. Mm -hmm. Very, very interesting right there. That's very, very true. Brandon, as you and everybody else does, we are waiting for the game to come back and for the season to uh, finish out. We're hearing, is it going to be the Bahamas or Florida? Like they're trying to find a couple central places to play these games. From everything that you know or that you've heard, like are they leaning one way or another way? Are the players feeling this whole one spot, two spot thing? I mean, you, I've spoken to coaches. I've spoken to players. I've spoken to you know people that work at the, the league office. Um, and, and the thing that I say before I answer this question is, I'm not a meteorologist. I'm not a doctor. I'm a journalist. I can tell you what I hear. Mm -hmm. uh, but that doesn't mean that that's what's going to happen. Right. That, that out the way. This is what I'll tell you. Um, I have heard anything from um, they can resume the season at some point in the summer. They'll have a training camp for a month and then a mini training camp for maybe two weeks to a month and then they can start and resume some of the season. Mm -hmm. um, and maybe that season will be maybe six or seven games because you have teams like in between the eighth and the ninth spot where you know, there's like a three and a half to three game difference in, in the win percentage. So you look at like the Blazers and, and the Memphis Grizzlies for the, as an example. Um, you know, Portland's dealt with injuries. They have Melo, they have Lillard and McCollum. And, you know, they were trying, after the All-Star break, they were trying to make that push. Um, so, you know, it could be a situation where that happens. And then, you know, where I've heard anything from Disney World. I had Keith Smith from Yahoo Sports on the Scoopy Radio podcast a couple of weeks ago, and he discussed, he wrote a whole story in April about he worked at Disney for like 20 years, so he has a lot of resources within Disney and how they could accommodate them. You have a bunch of villas at Disney World in Orlando. Um, you heard Adam Silver discuss a college-like atmosphere. And so when you look at that situation in Disney, that makes sense. You have villas, and then you have the Disney's Wide World of Sports arena that they can play in perfect synergy for ESPN who's owned by Disney to make that happen. That's right. And they have the rights for the NBA as well to telecast it. Exactly. So if now this is me speaking. If I was in that situation, I would start the playoffs as is with the seating that it is. And you have the top eight teams. The Warriors and the Knicks, why would they want to come out to Orlando? <laughs> right. Exactly. That in a disrespectful way, it's just what the, the that's just what it is. Um, you know, you resume the season with the top eight teams. They play. I mean, and again, this is me talking. Spencer Dinwiddie, you know, proposed a situation similar to an NCAA bracket. You know, where you have sixty-four teams. It's a one. It's an elimination game. 
I think you'd get it done a lot faster. You'd recoup some of the money. And hey, there might be a situation where a Memphis Grizzlies, hypothetically, who's young and has been resting, could really compete with a Lakers or a Clippers team. You saw Memphis go toe-to-toe with the Lakers uh, early in the wintertime, and, and, and it was an entertaining game. Mm-hmm. Who's to say that that can't be the case? Um, but on the back end, you know, I, I spoke to a coach by phone a few days ago, and they said to me that if you know they do resume the season or whether they don't resume the season, uh, the talk amongst executives and, and, and some players is, that if they start the next season, it won't start until Christmas because the NBA doesn't want to compete with the NFL. But the other thing is um, it kind of gives you a reprieve because I feel like this is a two-year process where you're kind of, you're kind of um, playing catch-up, if you will, um, and you're kind of resetting the mode. You know, this is disrupted for two months. What, what now? So, you know, you end the season in the summertime, um, what happens? And then, you know, it, it, it makes me wonder, like, okay, you canceled all the preseason draft stuff or pre-draft, you know, like the pre-draft stuff in Chicago that they do every year. Right. Uh, so when are you going to have the draft? Are you going to have the draft in June? You usually have it June 25th. Are you going to have it while the season is resuming? Like, there's a lot of stuff that needs to dissect. Then you look at the Nets, for example. Kyrie has surgery. Um, I can tell you that Kyrie's been in Arizona training uh, with a guy that trained Jason Kidd um, dur- you know, during his career. Robin is the guy's man. He's, a, he's been out in Arizona working with him. So, you know, does he come back? Then you look at KD. Does he come back? You know, there's a lot of factors that go into that as well. You look at the Lakers. This was supposed to be their year. How does, how does this rust affect their chemistry? Um, how does this rust help or benefit the Clippers? The Clippers have been in a situation where they've kind of coasted and they've had the ability to kind of rest guys and do more. But as a cohesive unit, how much time have they had together to really be formidable and, and prepare for the playoffs? So, you know, Giannis Antetokounmpo, another example. You know, he hurt himself right before the hold of the season. And, you know, you look at Ben Simmons, back injury. Um, he's had time to rest. So there's a lot of things that, that, that benefit guys because they've just sat down and done nothing. And, um, I think Disney would be a good fit just because it's so organized. I know Vegas has, has offered a, you know, to, to, to rope off the strip in some areas for them, and then they can go to the, you know, they do the summer league in Vegas, so maybe there's a situation there. But to me, Disney just seems more organized. That's very interesting. And, you know, even hearing about, too, like the Christmas, starting their season at Christmas, you know, the last time that happened was during the strike-shortened year in 2011-2012. So, Hey, it can happen for sure. Obviously, this is much different than a lockout, you know, due to a CBA. But we'll see what happens as time goes on. You know, Brandon, one other thing that I got to ask you here is just to get back to the doc with everything that happened, right? You keep on hearing about players. You keep on hearing about Michael being the best, right? And it opens up doors now for forgotten names to go out there and do it. You hear guys like John Stockton. He's obviously well-noted. Another guy that really goes under the radar is Glenn Rice, another guy that basically was a star in the 90s being an all-star. You know, what, what's your take on, on seeing these former guys talking like that? I have a Glenn Rice story. I love Glenn Rice, so go ahead. This is awesome. So I talked about being in the Hornets locker room and, you know, um, Glenn Rice and, and Anthony Mason were, were teammates. So. 
at the time, I was trying to interview them before the game. And Anthony Mason was like, yo, he's like, I can't do it now, but take my house number and call me later. So I call him. And when you call his, <laughs> I told his son the story on the phone the other day, he was cracking up. When you call his house and he has a, you know, he has a voicemail and it picks up, he goes, yo, you reached, you reached Mason, I can't come to the phone right now. But if you leave a message, I'll get back to you. Oh, and by the way, if you ain't down with Anthony Mason in the 9-8, I got two words for you. Fuck you, right? <laughs> so, right, that was, that was his voicemail. <laughs> when I was in the lot, so then I called Anthony Mason back, and he answered the phone. I was like, hello? Yo, this is Brandon Robinson. Can I speak to Anthony Mason? He's not here right now. It was Anthony Mason, right? <laughs> so, <laughs> so I said, you know what? I'm going to stop calling Anthony Mason. So then Glenn Rice was like, they were on a road, they were on the road right at that point. So like Glenn was like, yo, I'm staying at this hotel. Call me, call a hotel desk and tell them who you are. Like, I think he didn't have like a code name. Like a lot of guys they'll have code names when they check into the hotel. So like Glenn was Glenn, I missed Glenn, but I left a voicemail. My mom was like, hurry up, Brandon. She got me from school because I was supposed to do a phone interview with her. I missed it. But he left a voicemail. And when he left the voicemail, he's watching TV. And in the background, I'm hearing the Boy Meets World. I'm hearing, I'm like, yo, Glenn Rice watches Boy Meets World? Like, it was, it was cool. But, you know, I should have known he was cool. We have the same birthday, May 28th, next week. And, um, you know, he's just a cool dude. Like, even though we didn't get a chance to sit and talk, uh, you know, the fact that he made himself accessible to me was cool. But, you know, the Anthony Mason voicemail took the cake, but you know, Glenn Rice to me uh, was special. I just think that Glenn Rice um, just wasn't Michael. You know, great player at Michigan, uh, solid shooter, did win a ring during his time with the Lakers with Kobe Bryant and, and, and Shaq early on under Phil Jackson. But um, yeah, I, I like Glenn Rice. I was glad he got a ring, and um, I actually bumped into Glenn um, in Toronto during the All Star Weekend in 2016, and. He had gained some weight, but at the same time, you could still recognize him in the face. And Glenn has been kind of making, you know, appearances and made himself more readily available. And man, I just I even remember his Miami Heat days, um, you know, and and, and before the, the Charlotte Hornet days. And man, he was a problem. He was a problem for sure. That's definitely true, uh, Scoop man. That's definitely true, Scoop. My final question for you is. As we know, everybody's been debating Jordan LeBron, Jordan LeBron, Jordan LeBron. Mm -hmm. I think after this, uh, maybe the debate will kind of, I mean, it won't end, but maybe it'll calm down a little, little bit. I know you're not in his head, but what do you think LeBron James is maybe thinking to himself after he watches the doc and seeing how Jordan went about his ways? Like, do you think maybe he'll change how he'll talk to guys and treat guys? Because it seems like Jordan was able to get the most out of everybody, and it seems like LeBron has to carry everybody. Does does that kind of make sense? Well, I, I'm going to tell you a secret. It was never a debate of who was better, Michael or LeBron. Um, Michael was in his own lane, and that's not to take anything away from LeBron. But I sometimes think that in media culture and fan culture, it's almost like they wake up in the morning, it's like, how can I be better than Michael? What's it? I don't think it's that deep. I think that um, 
LeBron was already doing some of the things that you mentioned. Uh, when I look at when I look at LeBron James, I think he's a taller Jason Kidd. Um, he's always been a pass-first point guard. You saw it in high school. You know, I remember reading about LeBron James in Slam Magazine. LeBron and I are the same age. I remember reading about LeBron in high school, knowing that this guy from Akron, they were saying this guy from Akron was going to be special. I think the problem with with um, this whole Michael and LeBron, LeBron debate is this. How can you compare a well-done steak to a steak that you just put in the oven or that's halfway being cooked? You can't compare careers until they're over. Right. But here's the thing. Um, LeBron is more magic and Scottie Pippen than he, and Oscar Robertson than he is Michael Jordan. Kobe Bryant is the closest thing to Michael Jordan. That's right. I agree. And, and, he's, and, I, and agree. I, I know I was reading this before you. I didn't see the whole interview that, that Horace Grant did on ESPN 1000 out in Chicago, but I know that I, I read, you know, like an infographic, and they were asking Horace Grant, who played with Michael and – had the, the had played with Penny, Michael, and Kobe Bryant. One championships right. with Michael and Kobe, and they asked him the difference, and it's it's he said comparing one and one a, um, and even so, like I know Kendall Gill has said to me, the only advantage that Kobe Bryant had over Michael is he was a better three point shooter. That's it. Mm-hmm. And I think if Kobe had won those two rings that he those two championships that he lost. He'd have seven rings, and, and, you know, I think that the championship thing, if you're comparing that, okay, he'd have more, but he doesn't. Um, I think LeBron James is the Michael Jordan of his era, but he's not Michael Jordan. Um, I just think that he's an improved Magic Johnson with a better jumper, mm-hmm. uh, and, and, I, and there's nothing wrong with that. I no think. But at the same time, when you start talking about Michael, um, Kareem has six championships too, and to be honest with you, Kareem – Kareem has two championships with two different names. Assalamu alaikum. <laughs> Lou Alcindor and, 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 and uh, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar won championships. Right. Milwaukee Bucks and then Los Angeles Lakers. Right, right. When you look at Kareem at Powell Memorial in, in New York City, you know, he was winning there. He won under, you know, at UCLA under John Wooden. Like, he's mm-hmm. won every level. To be honest with you, Kareem is more Tom Brady-like than he is Michael Jordan-like anyway. So, mm. you know, if you want to have the conversation about Michael and LeBron, you need to have it about Kareem, too. You have to have it about Bill Russell. But what happens is the two guard and the small forward is like the wide receiver in the NFL. Centers don't sell shoes, with the exception of Shaq. <laughs> so when you, when you look at the flashy point guard or the, the two guard or the small forward, those are considered the alpha males. And so that's why the whole – Kobe, LeBron, Michael thing is sexy to everybody, but you, but, and I didn't grow up watching Kareem. I can only talk about Kareem from watching classic sports. Just like somebody 19 or 20 can't tell me about Michael because I grew up watching Michael. I think the problem is you can't compare errors. When you start comparing errors, you, you, you kind of bastardize the game. Yeah, and you get lost in it, and it's not good. And you, you lose feel of reality as a whole right now at this moment. You know, it's so, so true, Brandon, you know, talking about just comparing, comparing errors, different rules, different types of players, everything like that. And just to get back to your point of what you said with regards to the shooting guard, the small forward and the point guard, there are many people out there that can relate to heights. I'm six foot. You're, you know, I'm six foot one, six foot two. You know, we, we could all relate to those types of players. We can't relate to the, to the big 
to the big man because there's only one in however many of them there are in the world. You know, so that's exception to the rule. Right. Because Shaq is is relatable because he's silly and because he's likable. Right. <laughs> but he's big as hell. Right. <laughs> um, Steph Curry is relatable to families, white men, and people six feet and below. Not enough. That's just what he's relatable to. And because right, he right. can shoot. Most guys can't dunk. So the fact that he's a proficient shooter, he's relatable. Right. Absolutely, 100%. Brandon, you're a busy guy. Thank you for coming on the show. We really appreciate your time. And how do the people follow you on social media? We, we follow you, but for the people out there that are listening to the show for the first time, how do the people follow you on social media platforms? First and foremost, uh, subscribe to the Scoopy Radio Podcast, which is available on our streaming platforms, uh, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, TuneIn app, Stitcher app, iHeartRadio, or simply visiting ScoopBRadio.com. 2.1 million streams last year. Um, but in addition to that, Amazing, bro. at Scoop wow. B, Instagram and Snapchat at Scoop underscore B, um, and, and Facebook, uh, Facebook.com plus Scoop B. 2.1 million, Scoop, that's awesome. That's, a lot. that's awesome. Thank you, man. Thank you. A lot of hard work and a lot of sleepless nights. This is why I'm thankful for uh, this reprieve right now. Absolutely. You said it earlier, man. Brandon, go go catch up at some rest. You're a hardworking guy. And, thank you know, you Brandon, we thank you. Thank you for coming on. We really appreciate you, man. Thank you for having me, gentlemen. Y'all get some rest, too. Absolutely. We're definitely trying to, man. We're trying to. All right, Brandon. Peace out, baby. My man. I'll talk to y'all soon. All right, Brandon. Cool. That was the one and only Brandon Robinson, a.k.a. Scoop B. Will, Scoop is a great guy. We love him to death. Always a great time, man. Absolutely. Very well-known, knowledgeable, knows his basketball, and not only that, listen, what more can you say? One of the more hardest, hardest working guys out there in media right now. So can't knock. Can't knock him. Well, any final thoughts on this show, Val? Not really. Just, you know, one day at a time. And, you know, what more can you say at this point, man? You know, episode 201 is in the books. We got to do an episode just me and you one day where – we're just going to talk about the highs, the lows, everything like that going on. So that that's my final thought. Yeah, yeah. Um, for everyone out there, uh, the John Forsland episode is up on uh, YouTube and on Apple and Spotify. And that was episode two hundred. And um, you know, and um, you know, and I, uh, I put up a emotional post because you know, like, well, and I, I didn't met- see it yet. I've been editing videos, so believe <laughs> right. me, I saw, I saw it. I saw it coming out. I was editing video too, so <laughs> I got. Once I see it, believe me, you'll know about <laughs> it. But I'm sorry to cut you off, Sean. All good, man. All good, man. And um, well, and part of what I said was, you know, if you would have told me after the first show that we did that we would be able to do 199 more. I wouldn't have said no, but I would have said, I don't know. Cause we don't know how these things go. Like you start off good and then you get cold or you start off cold and you get hot. And well, the one thing I could say, me and you have honestly been, especially you has been consistent. The, like the wavelength hasn't gone too low. It hasn't gone too high. The wavelength has stayed the same. So, well, I love you, pal. Congratulations on 200 shows. Hopefully we have another 200 more, then 200 more, then 200 more. Continue the great work. And 
Shout out to everybody that tunes into the show, downloads the show. And of course, shout out to the great guests like Scoop B and Combo and Mike Dunn and Ed Easton and Steve Weish and me and Will favorite uh, Brendan Burke and everybody, everybody that has come on, on the show. We appreciate you all, man. Absolutely. Just countless names that we've had on over the course of two years. And, you know, it's going to be two years at what the end, the end of the, the end of the month. It's just absolutely Around crazy. June, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So it's just absolutely nuts uh, what's going on, but you know, we thank the fans. We thank everybody out there that has followed us. Yeah, we may have a small following, but on Instagram and on Twitter, but that stuff doesn't matter to us. We're going to keep on putting out the content and day by day, brick by brick, we're going to build this thing. And that's the main thing that we could always, uh, we could always say over here is that we, we try. We try here at On The Board Sports. And, you know, many people say, oh, well, you didn't try hard enough in, in sports. And, well, you got to understand – you can knock somebody for that, but you can never question a man's character or, you know, determination or grit. So with that said, Sean, I just want to say thank you for being who you are and just thank you for being, you know, like I said before, and this is going to be recorded. I'll say it once I say it again. <laughs> if it wasn't for you back in 2018, there would be no show. There would be no on the board sports. There would be no talking to sports hosts. We, pre we would be probably be guessing what we'd be doing right now at that point in time in 2018. So, you know, you can thank me all you want. I'll always thank you for just posting that and just, you know, making that happen, man. So thank you. Appreciate you, pal. Uh, appreciate you, man. So, and well said, well, well, well said. So for my partner, William Chirucci, AKA C, and shout out to our guest again, the wonderful Brendan Robinson, AKA school B. I'm your host. Sean Thomas, a.k.a. Shawnee, on the mic. Once again, 200 episodes in. Thank you to everybody. We'll talk to you soon. Peace out and stay safe.